0: Welcome to Growth for Good, the show about amplifying impact for nonprofits, charities, and social purpose businesses. I'm Daniel Francovilla, a marketing advisor and brand strategist, and your host. On this show, I interview leaders at nonprofits and social enterprises, and the organizations that support them. We discuss the wins, challenges, and best practices when it comes to communications, marketing, fundraising, and impact. Let's dive into today's episode. All right. So Mike, welcome to growth for good. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Um, so Mike, you have an awesome history, uh, similar path to me at the beginning where you started your own nonprofit, your own charity, uh, working with a lot of youth. Uh, and now you are uh, working in the leadership space, helping other nonprofit organizations and leaders. I'd love if you could tell us a little bit of your story and firstly, how you actually entered the nonprofit sector.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, well, firstly, my own story uh, started back, well, when I was born, mm-hmm. as most <laughs> stories begin. Uh, but in relation to the uh, the nonprofit, I actually started a high school class project called "Hip Hop Away from Violence." Uh, at that time, I was in grade eleven, I believe, and uh, I'm a, I was a I am a b boy break dancer, as the media yep. might call it. <laughs> I've been doing it since I've been in grade. 10, uh, so it's been like 20 something years. And uh, hip hop has always been a big part of my life, my crew, getting to travel, compete, uh, be a part of that community in in a pretty awesome way. And uh, in high school, I was also struggling at home uh, with my family. My mom was, uh, as I was growing up, uh, struggling with some mental health issues. And for me, I grew up you know, a little bit faster because of that. Mm-hmm. And when I found hip hop, I realized there was something there that was powerful, uh, as a, as a voice for me as a young person who was bottling up a lot of my anger and and stress. And as a, as a community that I felt like I was welcomed by and really embraced by, and as a platform to, you know, be bigger, a little bit larger than life, uh, as a young person who was, you know, struggling and and mm-hmm. you know I would miss days of school. I'd breathe in the plastic bags, you know, or pi- paper bags to to stop hyperventilating and things like this. I didn't really know at the time that was anxiety, but um, so I was I was struggling as a young person, but really quiet about it, kept to myself. Uh, so when this high school entrepreneurship teacher said, "Hey, do you want to run a venture? You know, pick a charity," and uh, we created this idea, which was a concert to use hip hop as a tool to create social change and which eventually like 15 years over time (laughs) evolved into uh, a hip hop mental health charity that was focused on building resilience in young people through the elements of hip hop. So, um, that's kind of the early days. And then you said nonprofit, but I didn't even know what a nonprofit was when I was in high school. (laughs) I think we met around that time actually. And, uh, Fast forward a couple of years, uh, I was in university. We actually created a student club. We were actually trustee by another charity, which mm-hmm. I was on the board of. So we went through all the types of registration. A lot of people will ask me, like, should I register a charity? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, like, there's a lot of questions. Actually, over five years, we took on like six different forms of registration, wow. from a you know a high school class project, unincorporated, to a student club at York University. To a trustee group with a charity called Leave Out Violence, to uh, a nonprofit, then we applied for our charitable status, which we finally got. So we kind of went through the ringer, and yeah. that process was literally over five years. So, um, by the time I was leaving university, I was kind of faced with the question, like, you know, what am I doing with my life? Uh, I graduated in business. And uh, over that time, we were building what what later was called Unity. We changed the name from Hip Hop Away from Violence to Unity. Got it. And um, we were going into schools and doing outreach directly into communities um, that, you know, didn't have necessarily access to, you know, top hip hop artists in the city. And uh, Unity took pride in really bringing in the best, uh, you know, DJs, graffiti artists, B-boys, B-girls. spoken word artists we even expanded to, and who were also great artists, educators. And then we expanded to like after school programs and community-based programming, and you know, just kept expanding and expanding, but we didn't really have a plan to do so. And uh, you know, that's kind of how the genesis of all this happened. And sort of fast forward 15 years, I'll tell you about that later, but you know, I did eventually decide to leave, and uh, and that was a really hard choice. which I think we need to do better in the space of nonprofits. You know, learn to let go of the things that we are maybe part of creating, and create space for others to you know carry on those those uh, missions. And if they're not meant to be, you know, let them let them go. Uh, which is another hard thing that I think uh, a message to folks out there. You know, let go. If it wasn't meant to sustain, then you know that's okay. And, and you don't need to, to hang on to it forever, uh, as I didn't. And, you know, was not on the board, not employed after in any way, not consulted. Fully disconnected. Fully disconnected. Okay. So I uh, highly encourage it. And definitely I speak a lot to the succession piece. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I fast forwarded a lot there. But, uh, <laughs> you know, if anyone's curious about that conversation, it's one that I, you know, I'm really passionate about having. Because I think I looked up to a lot of my mentors who were doing a horrible job of it. And uh, unfortunately, I just really did not want to kill the very thing that I cared so much about. Um, You know, it's like letting your kid go off to (laughs) university or school. You got to, you know, you got to let them go. So um, anyways, I did fast forward a lot
0: there. So, you know, feel free to rewind me a little bit. For sure. I I love that you shared that story with a lesson at the end, too, because that's that's really common. And, And people, whether you're a founder or just a leader, you take often take on a big burden, um, and you don't really look at the the bigger picture and what is there actually an option for it to exist without you there, right? and look at how that can happen. So kudos to you for for doing that. I actually remember, um because I did follow you you know closely at the time uh, with unity, like when you were when you were leaving, and I was like, wow, like I, I, it like made me pause for a second too. Mm. Um, I think from the perspective of you know you're super passionate about this, this is like your life's work. like how do you, so I'd love if we could chat a little bit about that. Like, how did you go about kind of making that decision to transition out for your organization?
1: Yeah, so, so Unity over those 15 years, which is a long time, yep. uh, started around 2004. I think I left in 2018, so maybe my math is off, 2003. Mm. Uh, but over 15 years, we built the organization. We created an incredible team. We built it from a completely volunteer organization to having 15 full-time staff, 80 artists across Canada, a national charity in, in different uh, cities. Amazing. I
0: remember going to your office in Toronto. We had an, an office cool. eventually. Yeah. Um,
1: we ran a big festival that had some major headliners. We had programs all, all over uh, and and amazing people on our team, who many of which are still there uh, even five years later since I've left, Wow! which is a, an amazing uh you know, I'm just really so happy to see that and and Mm -hmm. so proud of what they've continued to do. Um, But to your question, uh, you know, my my identity was very wrapped up in it, you know, as a hip hop practitioner, b-boy, still to this day, I still practice and and get down. Um, I relate a lot of my philosophies in life to like the creation process on the dance floor and like Mm. the way, you know, gravity is not really forgiving. And you know uh, you kind of got to work with the momentum that that comes with falling, for example. And and I often use a metaphor like building the plane while flying it. So right. it's it's something I talk about a lot in in my book and just in life, where you know no one really knows what they're doing, but you know if you have an idea <laughs> that, and you see a gap in community or or in a specific community that maybe you're part of, you know try something and. You know, obviously, you know, when it involves people's lives, we need to be careful. We need to be uh, respectful. We need to listen and, and listen, listen to the needs of people. And, you know, I, I feel that also just shouldn't hold us back from doing the good work uh, and, and trying our ideas out in the real world. And that's exactly what we did with Unity. We try one thing. We, you know, learn based on the feedback we were getting from principals or from schools or from community centers or from city of Toronto partnerships or whatever we had. Right. And we would just make it better. And and then that idea went with our team and different people on that team. So we'd build that up. We built it to, you know, uh, an organization that had all sorts of partnerships with government and corporate mm-hmm. and, uh, you Big know, sponsors, sponsors, mm-hmm. corporate donors, foundations, uh, donated in kind, you know, we free pizza and free lawyers <laughs> and all the things. Yeah, uh, We had all sorts of, you know, free media. We had TV commercials that were airing across Canada for free uh, that were created for free.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so really neat stuff that we were able to leverage. Uh, we had airports on uh, Dundas, or, sorry, air, uh, ads at air, in airports and at Dundas Square all for free. So we really tried to be resourceful, which is also like a hip hop mentality, mm. you know, do things we sort of said the hip hop way, which is like, you know, find a way to do it. You know, if someone else's logo is up there on a billboard, why can't we get it up there? And why, why would we need to pay for it if our cause, you know, is meaningful? So we, we really tried to figure out the how, if we saw something, we knew we could do it. And even when we didn't see things, we're like, we can, we could try this. We can manifest this. We can make this a new thing. Hmm. Uh, you know, there's a lot of broken systems out there and we always ask like, like in hip hop, we say, um, you know, if there, if you're inspired by a move that you see, so if I see this billboard, I'm like, oh, I want to get up there, I want to be there. You know, if you're inspired by something, you don't directly copy it, but you kind of flip it and uh, you make it your own, right. and you add your own personality, your own style, your own context, and you make it your own. That's exactly what we did at Unity. So in terms of the um, that buildup, when we when when we I got to the end, I like Unity was my life, mm-hmm. and you know, it was it was a bit of a. i I saw two people that i really respected struggle to let their organizations go and uh then it became three then it became four and i'm like this is weird Mm. and uh as much as i respected those people uh i saw them struggling in that they centered themselves so much in the work that it was impossible for them to remove themselves and because of that they felt that they were needed so what I would suggest is like, how do you decenter yourself? How do you pass off those relationships to members of your team? Bring people into those meetings. You know, like, uh, don't be the speaker if you're being interviewed for the media. Right. You know, give that to a team member. Um, you know, put other people at the front and slow. But you can't just do that right away. Like, it took time to like unmikey the organization <laughs> and yeah. like push other people forward because it did start a lot based on, you know, my story and some of the stories of that course, yeah. fa- founded the organization, but I sort of, you know, pushed that away and, and push other people forward. And then I was sort of more ready. And that's just on every level from funding to partnerships, to programs, to board relationships, like really build that in to the fabric and let people be empowered to own their own parts of that organization. So eventually it's easier to let go. Whereas... If you want to be needed, you can make yourself needed anywhere. And uh, it takes time. You can't just, like, let go. I mean, I call it sort of the cliff of, (laughs) you know, succession. It's like if you set it up in a way that needs you, you're you're sort of falling off that. But if you sort of remove yourself slowly, like, one step at a time, uh, you know, I call that sort of, like, the steps to succession is, like, take a step, you know, let someone else run a meeting. And, you know, let someone else meet with the auditor, you know, let someone else. And then uh, these are all tiny steps that eventually lead to you not being necessary. And I got to a point where I was very not necessary to the point. I was like, I remember the moment it was that Pokemon game that was on your phone when it was really popular. Pokemon Go. Yeah. I was obsessed. (laughs) And I remember like on the biggest day of the organization at our festival, I was like, one of our staff caught me like catching a Pokemon in an alleyway. (laughs) And I'm like, he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, uh, catching a Pokemon. He's like, <laughs> why aren't you inside the festival? You know, and I just knew my brain had checked out at that point. Mm. Uh, so, but I was also thankful because I wasn't needed in that moment. So yeah. it was also like a double moment of like, oh, I can, I can go, you know, I can go play, play Pokemon and, <laughs> and do my thing or do my next chapter. So um, yeah, there's a lot more to it. I, I think that the one thing I'd add to that is, you know, to successfully let go of an organization, we need to understand what our needs are and what the organization's needs are and how they are the same exactly. and maybe how they're different so that we can meet our own needs as we leave while also meeting the organization's needs. And maybe we can't support all the organization's needs, so we need to sort of separate ourselves from that. And, like, the last thing I'll say, I'm just super happy with, you know, how the succession went, the recruiter, the board, the whole process, you know, uh, and and now, five years later, you know, o- Unity is as, as strong if not stronger uh, than it was before. And like I said, many of the same people are there. Some new amazing folks have come in the door and uh, I just kind of watch with pride as, as it continues. So, um, and, and some of those organizations, I won't name which ones, but some of the ones that I looked up to that struggled to let go are no longer around. Those people, you know, struggled with their own mental health in that process. You know, I'm not gonna say I didn't struggle with anxiety when I was leaving. It was really a tough thing for me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I knew letting go was more important than, you know, hanging on so tight that I, you know, crushed the very thing that I cared about. So um, anyways, I'm kind of rambling, but you get the
0: vibe. Uh, of course, that, that's super that's super insightful and, and transparent. Again, you're, you're pairing a lot of lessons in there, which is great because you've learned definitely along the way. I think from people who are even just considering this, there's a lot of, you know, people who listen to this. So are you know in the nonprofit space, whether they're actually founders and, and executive directors or just employees and volunteers. So I think the to even just consider the perspective that you that goes into making decisions like this, like who's gonna stick in with leadership, how are you gonna be involved? How can we make it more sustainable? How can we make it so that you're not reliant on one single person? Mm. I think it's very common that you know, you mentioned an example of just you holding key relationships. A lot of times, that doesn't even get properly disseminated to the team, right? So, I think this is a good reminder for people, even if they're not planning on leaving just yet, to to kind of create those processes and, and systems that can allow your organization to be more sustainable, right?
1: Totally. I am a huge advocate of that. Uh, in fact, we at Epic did a sort of a conf, like an anonymized re- uh, research report. It's very informal, where we actually interviewed uh, five people who were. Coming into ED positions for the okay. first time after a long time founder and or long, long time ED and five people who had left a long time role and just the challenges the barriers the right. you know opportunities for doing better because like I, I had my experience but every experience is so different yeah so I, I really suggest that people uh, you know understand again what they need what the organization needs and and sort of negotiate that. Uh, and, and, you know, everything's important. The funding, you know, I've seen orgs run out of funding. I've seen boards, you know, take too much space uh, or think they know what they're doing when they really don't know what they're doing and actually destroy organizations. Yeah, uh, I've seen chairs who won't leave the boards with no term limits, who, right. you know, inappropriately use their, you know, donation to justify their seat where they're just causing harm in so many ways. So, you know, there's so many terrible things that can happen in nonprofits and they happen so often and they're not often talked about. And I think we need to really address those things because, you know, the system is, the nonprofit structure is is pretty broken. And, you know, it's good when it's good within that structure, but when it's not good, it gets really bad. And, you know, uh, and when an ED just hangs on tight and says, I'm not leaving and it's hard to get them out of that seat. So like everyone can be, really mature and support the cause, which is why we're all there and and supporting that mission for the community. Or everyone can, you know, once you start putting that selfishness in there, which I get why I get why, like you sacrifice all these things and like, I get it, but (laughs) then why are you like, why are you doing this at all? You know, like you're hurting it, you're hurting the thing. And like, just ask yourself that question. Like, am I hurting the thing? Am I hurting myself? Am I hurting other people? And if you're doing any of those things, like, better the organization doesn't exist in my opinion like <laughs> and i've seen organizations close down with such grace and such like respect for the people and the community even though needs were left unaddressed right. you know uh one that i i really uh i continue to look back on and say wow you know it's it's just so amazing the way it's, it's, it's tragic that this program and this organization doesn't exist because they were serving a very specific need, but it's so mature and, like, the way that they closed the doors were because of the organization not being sustainable and not wanting to pass the torch to the next person where it was n- still not sustainable. So I won't say which organization, but I'll just say that, like, I was just, like, completely, like, yes, we need to, like, step away from things, and if they can't exist without... You know people hurting themselves to keep them going then they shouldn't exist you know after a certain point you know i I get the hustle like to get a thing started you know there's no money yet so you kind of got to test things out but eventually if you're like 10 years deep and you're like we're still like underpaying people and you know i don't know everyone is burnt out and has you know mental health challenges as a result of their job you know like something's not right there uh you know we took a lot of pride in taking care of our people You know, I'm a big believer, people first, you know, people before impact, people before profits, and ultimately you will get those things. Uh, I actually taught a course through UFT uh, around mental health in the workplace, and I did a ton of research to be able to teach this because I felt like an imposter. But as I did (laughs) that research, I realized there's a very, very, very strong business case for putting people's mental well-being before profits, impact all the things that we strive to achieve as nonprofits or businesses. And ultimately you get those things when you treat people with respect, provide benefits, you know, let them take the time they need to, to, to deal with the things they have in their lives. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out. I'm not saying that that works out all the time, but most of the time we don't think of the simple things right in front of us, uh, you know, that we can just conversationally introduce, you know, uh, like asking people how they're doing, but like when they tell you they're not doing well, maybe creating a little bit more space for them to to deal with those issues if they need to. So like there's simple, cheap, free, easy things you can do, but a lot of people don't do them and they focus on the goal. And then, you know, they they lose they lose all of that. So yeah, I'm a big believer that more organizations need to, you know, reevaluate, like, should this exist? Should we close this? Should we merge? Should we just let it go to someone else and see what happens. And if it doesn't work, you know, maybe find a way to be at peace with that because maybe it was never meant to, to continue. And and when you let that go, hopefully, but not necessarily, someone else will see that need and reemerge and, and hopefully, again, not necessarily, but try to step in and address that in a different way. So um, I've seen things close in the last few years that have been around for 40 years, that have mm-hmm. been around for you know, a long time as well. And and it's, you know, for the wrong reasons too, they can close, you know, lack of financials or whatever. But, you know, we need to learn to let things die as we do in life in general. And I think it's something the nonprofit sector sucks at. We try to keep everything alive forever. And that to me is, 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 a, is a loss because new things that are needed have less space to get in because right. the pie is not growing. You know, I mean, sometimes it grows because we advocate or, you know, specific groups will advocate for bigger pie or new pie or, you know, let's bake another one. But like generally speaking, we're fighting for the same slices here uh, more or less. So if a big group is dominating a big portion of that and uh, I don't know if it's like 96 or some large percentage of charitable gifts go to like 1% of charities, we got to kind of think about like what space am I taking up here, you know, and I'm not talking to the small or smaller nonprofits, I'm talking to the institutions here. Like, if you're going to exist, like, how are you holding community? And I won't say who, but I went to a speaker of, you know, one of the biggest institutions uh, in in Ontario, and they said, you know, we welcome in community partners, and we have all these community partnerships, and they just did, like, a half a billion dollar, you know, campaign of fundraising. And I stood up, I'm like, how do you do that? You know, like, how? Because I know uh, we've worked in association with your organization and and from my understanding is all you do is give you know free passes to your <laughs> space and I'm like and, and that's what they responded with free passes and I'm like that's not you're talking about half a billion dollars here like that free passes <laughs> is not partnership you know like open your doors you know how are you really opening your doors who are you hiring like so many levels to the brokenness of these institutions that like hang on for dear life because they can you know the donors are there their boards are those donors, those boards are strong. And and I'm not saying it's wrong or bad or they're not doing good work, but I think we need to learn to collaborate, partner, share those resources with needed organizations in the community versus like hanging on tight because needs are not being addressed in community and small nonprofits have not all the answers, but some of them have some pretty unique approaches to this work. and, And I think we need to give them a platform plug them into that. Uh, so yeah. we, we we really focus on partnerships at Unity. We, we're really like deep in like, how do we get creative with the people we partner with so that we, you know, we're not trying to do this work alone, right? You know, mental health, kids help phone, CAMH, you know, some of the bigger players, but we'd also partner with just local community agencies and connecting with specific youth who are living in uh, communities uh, that that are next to these centers, or or whatever whatever the case be, or just get super creative. And and you know, we, we've had one partnership that's just sort of finishing off that I'm not involved with anymore, but I was part of setting up, which was um, a trauma informed dance therapy program. Uh, we were approached by Boost, which focuses on advocacy for children and youth who have experienced trauma, and. They brought us into this meeting like we're going to apply for this grant i'm like i don't know like that's not our expertise we don't want to sort of go into a space where we don't have that experience but they sort of encouraged us to attend these meetings and they applied for this big grant brought in ryerson as the evaluator and they got this huge like federal government grant that we never would have had access to we never would have even been invited to apply right and we designed like our team designed this trauma-informed curriculum dance curriculum to help reduce the wait list for young people who are uh, waiting for um, to see someone who uh, uh, will support them through you know whatever trauma they were uh, exposed to or dealing with. So, uh, and the wait list was something like six months. So in the meantime, like it might be you know if people want to, young people want to access an option of you know a trauma informed dance therapy program, that would be pretty neat, you know. Yeah. Like and, and maybe even this alternative approach to, to therapy or trauma work with young people could have a significant impact and then could be copied, you know, share that curriculum all over the world. So like, these are like the, the partnerships that like I never could have dreamed of, yeah. but it's because we approach that with an openness. We're like, Hey, we should talk. We're not guarding resources. We're not like, what are you giving me for what I'm giving you? We're like, what do you like, have to? how could we fit together in a unique way that doesn't exist that will benefit right. community? And, uh, you know, I still to this day approach partners. I'm like, ah, just the vibe you're giving me in this conversation, like we're not gonna work together. <laughs> and that sucks because you have something that we can benefit from, but right. not us, the community that we're serving can benefit from. So if you don't see that and you're guarding resources, everyone is losing out. So mm-hmm. I really would, you know, I'd love to see when partners come to the table with the like, yeah, how can we do this? I'm like, yes, do that more often. If you don't do that, do it more often. Please, if you have those resources, don't hold them, share them, you yeah. know, collaborate. And then you will be able to survive longer because you're actually demonstrating that impact in a tangible and real way.
0: So I'm again, I ramble and I don't even know how I got there, but <laughs> I think the power, well, you touch on a few things. Like one of them is obviously the power of partnership. The second is collaboration over competition. And I think that that point is really important because. It reminds you to look back at why you're actually doing this work, and you're doing this work not to grow an organization. You're doing this work to solve a problem or address a need. Exactly. And so, if you can reach that goal with with partners or collaborators, whether you're taking the ownership or not, in the nonprofit space, I think it's 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 actually a bad thing to get caught up in in ownership and, and owning these assets. I've actually seen resources be created, and then the project funding is done, and then that resource is now no longer even available, right? Like mm. all this funding goes into creating a document or creating a, a series and then it's just gone. Mm. So having better ways to collaborate and partner where things can live on, things can be shared, you know, multiple organizations can share these resources and and pr- ultimately provide them to the stakeholders that benefit. I think that's where we need to go with partnerships. So I love your kind of approach on, on being so open to that. One of the things I'll mention, um, one of the next questions I want to ask you actually is around personal branding. Okay. And a lot of people don't necessarily like the term personal branding because it's not something you actively do, but by by being you, <laughs> having it having a network, putting out content, you know, being an expert on certain areas, you're building your personal brand. So I ask because that's one of the things that continues, no matter which organization or company you're with, your personal brand, you know, follows you, right? Mm. So I wanted to ask you as someone who, you know, was with your own organization for 15 years and now has transitioned to your own, your own business and, and you do other things in between, I'm sure. How has that, con- how has the relationships you've built and the personal brand and following you've built kind of helped your, your career?
1: Yeah, it's a great, great question. And, you know, for me, I I really take pride in the relationships that I, you know, create with people authentically. Uh, you know, it's hard. I, I, at one point when leaving unity realized I had more like acquaintances than I did real Mm. friends. And I did have real friends who were like waiting for me to call them, but I didn't like spend that time. And now I spend a lot more time with people I want to invest in, like as friendships who I care about from high school to breakings, all the, you know, communities that I've been part of. But from a, from a personal brand standpoint, like I was very good at like, you know, having acquaintances and, and based on that, managing those relationships, you know, to a certain extent. And I think that that, to me is, you know, important that anyone who requested a meeting for me over my 15 years of being (laughs) at unity, I'd always say yes, always. Mm -hmm. And I'd always book it really quickly. This is funny because now you're getting the new me where I like, this took a long time to even book this because I'm much more guarded. Like I don't, this is on a personal level of like wanting to take care of myself because I never did. But when I didn't, I took meetings with Everyone, always, all the time, no matter who they were right away. And I was like in meetings, seven, eight meetings a day for 15 years. You know, I had (laughs) 150 emails a day that I like actively was responding to. It was unmanageable. And because of that, I've I've sort of built these connections with people uh, who I want to align myself with. Some people I'm like, cool, you exist. I know you're there. I'm going to you know know that you're there versus some people. I'm like, okay, who, how can I bring this person into my world? Like right. in a dream sense, maybe one day we'll work together or collaborate or just I can recommend them to someone else. Uh, so that network is really, in my opinion, what helped really fuel unity is, you know, when people are talking about you behind closed doors, hopefully it's in a good way. Yeah. Uh, and the only way to do that is to get out there and, and connect with people. Uh, and for me, uh, again, I take those meetings. My goal would be to at least you know, have fun and, and, and make a positive link. Uh, and we best case we'd actually work together in some way, or maybe they'd volunteer or somehow, somehow, some way we'd connect. So that's how I view the world is like, like you said, not competitive, mm-hmm. but from a, um, collaborative, collaborative, you know, not from a deficit, but from like a, you know, we have something here and you have something and I have something and everyone has something to right. offer. And if I just try to look for that in, in all humans and, uh, and I kind of have this weird inventory in my head of like, you know, if someone says, "Hey, do you know someone for this?" I'm like, I kind of think back and I'm like, it t- sometimes would take me a few days. I'm like, oh yes, like that person from 10 years ago, you know. So right. I think from a personal brand perspective, <laughs> I kind of suck at it because like I know a lot of people with networks and you know, uh, connections similar to what I do have. They utilize it a lot better. They're more confident in their ass asks around like what you know they want. Sometimes I'm just like, like I like you. I feel like we should hang out more. And like I like what you're doing. So like I just want to be close to it. Right. So I'm not as good with that on a personal brand level. Um, that's why one of the reasons why I sort of wrote my book. Because it was like this way of taking all these ideas in my head, which we're talking about a lot of them here, and putting them down on paper and and connecting them to real stories. Not just like, I think you should do this. It's like, yeah. these are things that we interacted with, we have experiences with. Uh, and I don't consider myself an expert in anything except, you know, the only things I've, I've experienced in my life. So, uh, and by far not an expert, it's just like, I've experienced those things, you know, (laughs) like, so I just actively, am trying to put myself into situations where I can experience things like pandemic sucked, uh, you know, but I learned to bake a little bit terribly, but (laughs) enough to like make a good banana bread or like I learned to make coffee and like, so anything I try, I want to try and like learn to do that thing well. Uh, and nonprofits was no different. Like, I want to learn to do this well. Sometimes, well is not the way it's been done before, like, mm. coming with creative ways to do it. So, from a personal brand perspective, you know, a lot of people feel like I'm all over the place. And that sucks because I miss the opportunity to connect with those people. And when people give me a chance, like I did, uh, uh, I've been starting to do like different keynotes and whatnot. And when I have had the chance, people are like, oh, like, this is really interesting. It's like, yeah, like, I'm not the flashy, salesperson you know I even struggled to sell my book because like I sold it when it came out I was like hyped about it but now I'm like okay I don't want to just be that guy you know sitting at a table 20 (laughs) years from now signing the same book but like I really love this book like I believe that my whole like from my personal story to all the things that I really believe in even it was released before the pandemic and even after the pandemic I still feel like this has all the juice of, of uh the things I truly believe in, you know, and yeah. I'm sure in ten years I'm going to look back and be like, "Oh, can't believe I said that." But so far, you yeah. know, that hasn't happened, and and so so it's been a way for me to take my personal brand, yeah, and just be like, put it into an object, and it's in an object, and like <laughs> one day I'll be like to my son, like, if you really want to understand me, read this book, you know, nice. if, you know, I know I hate Can reading books. The book? I want, uh- I wasn't a good reader. when, or I didn't read well <laughs> yeah. when I was a kid, uh, and I honestly struggled. I didn't learn to read until, like, grade six. So, you know, when people recommended books to me, I never read them. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I tried to make it cool. Like, we got a young person from the program to design the cover, um, nice. and she also... Her name's Serena Abrenica. She's, like, a graphic artist. She nice. designed these, like, little characters and stuff. Yeah. Um, we just tried to make it fun. Like, it's got color and things. Yeah. But, really, it's just that... You know, that personal brand piece that you spoke to, like, I knew I needed to do it better. So this helped me get my stuff together. Uh, I'm not sure if I can swear, but I said it's stuff. <laughs> uh, helped me get my stuff together. And I'm so proud, you know, of what it's become. And now I can move on with my life. You know, I can be like, yeah. cool, Unity was cool. I can stop. Like, I still talk about it as an example, but I can start creating new examples yeah. through the work I'm currently doing. And be like, if you're curious how my brain works,
0: It's all there. I love that. It's a resource. It's everything you've been through. And honestly, a lot of these stories don't get told and they don't get shared. You may they may get shared in small one-on-one mentorship meetings, and it's it's a shame because there's such like there's hundreds and hundreds of hours of thinking and 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 struggle that you went through. So you want to be able to tell those those stories. Totally. uh, Kudos to you for putting that in writing. Definitely, I'll I'll recommend the book. We'll link to it for sure. Um, I got it. Didn't get through the whole thing yet, but I have actually flipped through it to look for certain sections. Cool. Because I love how how well it's designed. Um, we only have a couple minutes left, sure. So I wanted to um I wanted to get you to explain a little bit about what you're doing now. What's the focus of Epic? You know, how do you operate and how how do you help uh, organizations?
1: Yeah. So uh, similarly, like it looks more organized now than when it first started. <laughs> okay. I was just like, what am I doing with my life after leaving Unity? Right. But when but what I knew is, excuse me, I wanted to take on some brokenness in the nonprofit sector that I believe through my networks and through my experience I could have an influence on. Mm. So I made a whole long list of like 30 things. I'm like, this is broken and silly and ridiculous, and it could be not solved but like supported in like a- this Addressed, way. yeah. Addressed. <laughs> and I know this person and maybe I can. So I just kept doing that and doing that and doing that. And nice. one of the ideas... Uh, was I wanted to create like a peer support group for nonprofit senior leaders, mostly executive directors. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much create the group that I wish I had when I was an ED where I could you know it was just such a lonely job and you have this weight on your shoulders and no one understands you're keeping people's jobs you're you know, talking to funders and you're making these big promises and you're like oh snap can I even do that and like
0: a lot of people relying on
1: you a lot of people and like it's it's just a, I call it the impossible job and I'll never ever ever do it again <laughs> uh, I almost got I actually got a job offer and I, for an ED for an, role yeah. in that time and I'm like I had a panic attack I'm like oh yeah this is why I said I'm not going to do this <laughs> uh, and I felt bad that I got that far in the process but I was just like I can't the question
0: was what does Epic do? What does Epic do? Yes. Sorry.
1: So I tried yeah. to create the peer cre- support group. This is one of the 10 ideas, but it's the one that sort of took life, was try to create a peer support group for nonprofit senior nice. leaders. So we have it uh, uh, started with one group four, four and a half years ago of 10 EDs, uh, executive directors and founders. We met uh, frequently enough, but not too frequently that, you know, they could make time for it. And we just talked about our biggest challenges in a confidential space where we set our you know, uh, sort of rules on how community agreements on how we got along together, and they built those relationships. And it's not a one-off program, it's not a workshop, it's not a conference. It's a forever thing. Like if ongoing. you want to be a part of this, yeah. I was part of all these fellowships and groups, which were fantastic, but they end. And right. when they end, you're like, Oh, I really want to stay in touch with that person. Or I go to a conference, I'm like, oh, I really want to speak to the people and who are invited to this thing. Everyone
0: goes off on their own ways and you don't have everyone's contact. Nothing. And it's
1: gone. And yeah. like you might get the contact list and like somehow, but it's hard to maintain those. You don't maintain those. And and those are the people who actually could help you the most because they like are doing it too. And like, you know, I remember when the pandemic had, everyone's like getting these experts to talk about how to manage a pandemic. I'm like, I want to speak to the people who are managing the pandemic, (laughs) not people who are speaking to those people who aren't doing it themselves. So I'm a big believer. We call it collective wisdom at Epic where like the wisdom is in the, the the genius is in the room. So how do we tap into that? And uh,
0: peer learning, it's
1: peer to peer, there's a format and how we share our challenges. Uh, so we started with that one cohort. That one cohort came to two cohorts. Uh, now we have six cohorts. I only run only two of them. Uh, so we have sixty members, uh, and we have hopes to get that to a hundred, uh, maybe by the end of this year. We're also starting a funders cohort, so we're trying to bring in nice. people who fund nonprofits to you know learn how they can improve funding practices. We just see the value, and like the my favorite part about all this stuff is I'm a hundred percent like. I'm just not needed in the long term, you know, uh, <laughs> the facility, you know, EDs are very capable to run these groups. Right. So we, you know, we create a process that we can train and build a new group. Uh, and 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 I don't have to necessarily do it. And I think that's more of a powerful idea where, you know, it's not like training hip hop artists to be artists educate. Like it was a very specific niche back in the day <laughs> with <laughs> Unity, which is fine and it's great. But this is much more scalable and we hope to scale it. Uh, cause we're seeing that impact. And like, honestly, I had my son with my wife, uh, about a year and a half ago. And at that time I was just like struggling. We weren't sleeping. It was really tough. And I was like, I can't do this. You know, I can't do anything right now. And people kept coming back. Like we have people in their fourth year of this program who are just like ready to sign up for their fifth year. And I'm like, okay, this is needed. I can't walk away from this. You know, we have an amazing team, Shelly and Galad and um, Bidju and John and and, uh, and Rakesh has been working with us. I know he's uh, nice. on this that was on the podcast. So yeah. I'm just really enthralled by this work. I'm I'm drawn back into it. I'm like ah, oh, we got to do more of this. But like, it's because that need is
0: is is being. You're providing, served. providing yeah, you're serving a need. You're providing real value, and and obviously it's a it's a gap. This doesn't exist. I, I was gonna before we wrap or sorry as we wrap up, <laughs> I was gonna ask if you had you, you've shared a ton of tips throughout this, which I love. Um, Are there any from a storytelling, marketing, positioning standpoint on how? Because the reason I ask that is, one, we talk a lot about marketing in order to amplify your impact, right? I know in nonprofits, we don't always use the word marketing, but it's more about communications, reporting, storytelling, showcasing this this impact. What's really important is that the stories that are maybe being told in those groups or being told one-to-one are actually communicated to potential sponsors, donors, partners, right? Mm -hmm. So from your years of experience you know running a nonprofit and actually consulting with them uh, do you have any tips for current nonprofit or charity leaders on how they can better showcase their impact?
1: yeah you know I, I would say this is a classic one that I'm like really bad at but push myself to do and the result is clear which is don't be afraid to ask mm. I mean you can be afraid I'm actually completely afraid but just get yourself to a point where you can make the ads. And I'll give a, a very clear example is, you know, when I wrote the book, they're like, you got to get like testimonials from famous people. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know any famous people. Uh, that, my publisher said that. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to message people I respect that I actually listen to. And I'm like, like love their ideas, mm-hmm. really into it. Uh, so I wrote like dry emails to like, f- like uh, t- 10 sort of famous authors that I do not know. I don't know. But I made the ask, and actually, on the front cover, there's there's a quote by Seth Godin, who I do not know. Incredible guy. And I wrote a single email to this individual, who's it further justified how much of an awesome person he is. Yes. But like the fact that he probably gets a lot of emails, responded, read the book, wrote a thing that he gave me permission (laughs) to put on the cover of it.
0: I'm like, you know. That's an, that's an honor. Honestly, I, I, as someone who listens to his podcast, read his, reads his books, he even said in one of his podcasts that he, he, he does not, uh, give blurbs for books unless he's fully read them and actually. Totally. Them, well, so. but the point of all this is, is like, yeah. I'm
1: completely afraid to make the ask, but I'll always push myself to do it. Right. And like nine out of 10 times I get a no, but probably like 20, 19 <laughs> out of 20 times or 19, uh, 24 of 25, but like, I'm just relentless when it comes to like, if ask. I believe in it, and that's what drives me for those who are like, oh, I hate asking. It's like, ask for things that you believe in. Yep. And then it's easy, you know, like, it's it's not easy. but It gets
0: like, easier the more you... The and more it's easier.
1: convincing. It works. Like, you know, I kind of looked at that email I wrote to Seth and I'm like, wow, like... I kind of got to pick this email apart, like, because I wrote it from the heart, you know, and it was really authentic and real and it was for him specifically. Right. And I think that that, you know, I got literally 24 no's. I, same as my publisher. Every We sent this to all these publishers. They were the only yes. Wow. There were 12 no's. And then the last one that came in at the end was a yes. So it's just like, again, you know, it looks like a success, but it's because I've just like got used to say, like hearing no. So make the ask, even if it's hard, and, you know, and and ask for things that you believe in, you know, and, and hopefully, you know,
0: you'll get them eventually. <laughs> I love it. That's a perfect place to end. Uh, Mike, thanks so much for being on Growth for Good. Everyone can check out uh, Building Unity and uh, Epic. Thanks, man. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll stay connected and I'll, I'll attend one of your groups someday. I'd love to have <laughs> you. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thanks. Thank Thank you for listening to this episode of Growth for Good. The show is presented by Daniel Does and produced by Creator Club in Toronto. You can find notes, links, and more about my guests at Danielduz.co, where you can also learn about ways we can collaborate. Feel free to connect with me anytime on LinkedIn or Twitter. If there is someone from the sector that you'd like to learn from or you'd like to be interviewed on the show, feel free to reach out to team at DanielDuz.co. If you're considering creating a podcast or video series for your organization, connect with Creator Club at creatorclubstudios.com.